0: Pastors, Larry and Tears welcome you to another New Beginnings Church podcast. Go deeper into God's Word with practical messages and lifestyle studies that will equip, inspire, and encourage you in your relationship with Jesus. Get ready to be fit for life. I thought, I'm, I'm going to do some more research on Jacob and... Um... I'm glad that I did because I discovered some unusual traits about Joseph. So that's what we're going to be studying today. (laughs) The other side and true historical data for Joseph. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have allowed us to be born at this time in history in a country where we are free to worship you. Bless this class, Father. Get rid of anything that is not sanctioned and ordained by you for me to teach this morning. And thank you, Father, that someone will hear exactly what they need for this week. And all God's people said, amen. Well, good morning. (laughs) We know that uh, Jacob had two wives, Rachel and Leah, and uh, it's obvious whether you're reading the Bible or history books that he loved Rachel the best. And, you know, sometimes we look at these um, biblical characters and we think, you know, oh, everything was wonderful. Their families were pretty messed up. I mean, figure out, he had two wives, one that served him well, but he wasn't quite attached to in the beginning, and then another wife that he just adored that he didn't get to enjoy um, until he had worked some more years. And in our families, most of us have um, favorites, even though though we tell our children, you know, I love you all the same. Uh, My daughter is here with her husband visiting uh, my oldest grandson this weekend. And most of us would assume that my favorite would be my first grandson, Connor. Actually, my favorite, and I told Kristen today, although I tell all three boys they are my favorite, um, but my favorite is the youngest one, Christian. He just came out of the womb fun. He always had an unusual style. Um, as the third boy in a family, he was always you know, rushing to keep up. But he was just more fun. Now, besides that fact, He's a very clean, organized kid. I'm a clean, organized person. So when I saw that my oldest grandson had clothes that were piled in corners, and my second sweet grandson, who's just wonderful, Kerrigan, had clothes piled in a corner, and then I noticed that Christian folded everything up. And it was like, oh, I love this kid. So I understand that there was a favorite wife. And don't you know that when that favorite wife finally started to have children, the firstborn was his daddy's favorite son. Now, we learned last time that I taught that the firstborn child in a Jewish family was um, given a lot of responsibility and a lot of authority and a lot of blessing. That oldest child carried on the tradition of the family. The oldest child made sure that the parents were taken care of. And so if you look at Jacob knowing that he loved Rachel the best, then it seems only natural that he would have gravitated towards Joseph. Now, I always assumed, and I you know, grew up in a, a good Baptist church that did a lot of Bible teaching, and I always assumed that all of the hardship that Joseph went through was to form him to be worthy of what God had in mind for him. But as I studied the, the rabbis and their interpretation— Joseph was kind of like my grandson, Christian. He came out of the womb different. Now, let's take a look at all the other brothers. Okay, Leah's children and the two, I'm just calling the call them girlfriends because that's what they were. They say concubines in the Bible, but they were girlfriends. So the two girlfriends that had the kids and then Leah's kids, they were all farmers. They were all, you know, out with the sheep. They, uh, sheep herders, that was their business. They paid attention to everything that was agricultural. And that was their focus, Joseph has been described as someone who um was a little bit softer but the actual interpretation of the rabbis is that Joseph had a heart for God. Jacob, Jacob thank you. No, no no it's Joseph. No no you're right you're right you're right you're right 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 right. Oh thank you for being here. Bless your heart. My, my husband honey is out to breakfast with my daughter and son-in-law and my grandson Connor so <laughs> I'll depend on you to put me in track. Yes okay. So um Joseph was the eldest son of of Rachel and the brothers looked down on all of the children but Joseph didn't Joseph was kind to Leah's children and to the two girlfriends' children He came out of the womb different He understood the lineage of the family he understood that his responsibility was to make sure that God's people carried God's word and God's message forward. The the, the um the jealousy that happened with the boys, according to rabbis, is that um because joseph was so kind to the children and they were not kind to the children and because joseph felt a responsibility to carry on the lineage for the family that just ticked him off they would much rather that he be out you know smelling like sheep and living out in the country when uh, joseph got his coat of many colors it wasn't just a pretty christmas present it was a sign of the authority that he had as the firstborn Now, I got to tell you, if you had all those brothers and all of a sudden this young whippersnap that came along out of this woman while she was old and he was given all the firstborn authorities, it would probably tick me off, too. So there were a lot of natural reasons in our realm for them to be angry at Joseph. But Joseph came out of the womb different. (laughs) He didn't look at the circumstances or need the approval of his brothers he seemed to really understand what his job was in life. Well, when the brothers got really upset, we know the story that, you know, they sold Joseph, and uh, it says that he was about 17 years of age when he went into Potiphar's house. That's a pretty young teenage boy. And um, biblically it says that, that Joseph kept God's Word on his mouth, and what that means is that he remembered the lessons that he had been taught from his mother and his father. And even though he was in a foreign land with foreign customs and circumstances, he stayed true to his calling. I don't know if I had been thrown in a pit and sold to slaves, even if I'd had that wonderful dream about my brothers were going to serve me and all that kind of stuff, I probably would have gotten pretty ticked. I probably would have gone, Are you kidding me, Lord? You gave me the vision. You gave me this calling. And look where I am. Can you not take care of me? That's why I think this story this morning is important for us. We cannot make decisions about God by looking at our circumstances. Joseph didn't need to be fine-tuned to learn what his calling was. God was with him, anointed him, Covered him through all of the horrible circumstances that he went through because God had a fulfillment of the plan and the vision that he had given to him as a young man. And it wasn't that he had to be softened and taught and everything. I mean, that's what I learned as a Baptist. Love the church. They did teach me a lot. But it's kind of nice to know that there's another side of him. So even when he was in Potiphar's house, and if you remember the scripture, he says, You know, I can't sin against my, my God and my master. You know, my, he's given me authority over everything, but, you know, you're his wife. Now, just put this in today's society. He's a 17-year-old kid. I'm sure this gal was pretty good looking. Now, think about it. And he said no. And he was willing to go to prison to stay true to his calling, to t- stay true to the anointing that was his responsibility in his family. I didn't realize that he was in prison for 12 years that's a heck of a long time. (laughs) And it does tell us that as soon as he arrived, um, the man in charge realized the wonderful organizational skills that um, Joseph possessed. So I'm sure that the warden looked around and saw other prisoners with piles of junk in the corner and realized that Joseph was folding things up, was organizing, was helping others. In fact, the history uh, tells us that Joseph was kind to all of the other prisoners. Which really is why he was led... Good morning. Why he was led to um, interpret the dreams of those the baker and, and the uh, cupbearer. The history tells us that he saw them and saw that they were upset. And his concern was for them. Now, these are officials... They'd be like government officials, and we're in jail, and somebody had put us in jail, and, and they were part of the, the group that had put us in jail. I'm not so sure that I'd be concerned that they weren't feeling all that happy, but the character of Joseph, he was concerned. He came out of the womb different, so he went to both of them and said, why why are you so, so sad? What, what's going on here? He wanted to help them, so they gave him dreams. Now, I always assumed that God directly gave Joseph an interpretation because I had not noticed one of the fine points in those dreams. But again, going back to history (laughs) and studying what the rabbis say, and let me, I I wrote this down, so I wanted to see, um, the cupbearer who Joseph said would be restored his dream was he was involved. Go back and read it because it's kind of kind of fun. When he had the dream, he was in the dream. Um, he was, you know, fighting off the, the ber- birds and everything. I mean, he was involved to make sure that things were taken care of. But the baker was an observer. He didn't do anything to protect. And that was the key that let Joseph know. One of the men was involved in his serving, and the other one was just there by appointment. Well, we could certainly take that lesson and look at today's society and say, wow, okay, who has a calling and who is in their position just because it's an appointment? We always say here at New Beginnings, if you are called to this ministry, you can't leave. And if you're not called to this ministry, you can't stay. (laughs) We are a very unique, wonderful um, church led by Pastors Larry and Tiz, trying to explain to the Christian community our Jewish roots trying to explain why some of our life choices might need to be different than what conventional church is about. Most people feel the call to point out what someone is doing wrong. And I have always confessed that's one of my strong suits that I have to just put an absolute lid on. I am not called to point out somebody's fault. I always say, I I pray and say, Father, am I supposed to point out the fault the fault or stand in the gap and pray for the fault and very seldom well actually never has he said pointed out he always said i'm showing you something nancy so that you can stand in the gap for that individual you're going to treat them as if you don't know anything you're not going to open your mouth you're going to stand in faith and believe for them and that's your job that's your assignment to pray for them not point out the gap I think in our Western society, because uh, women are so well-educated and we are able to work own property, um, we no longer have that sense of responsibility in the home. And yet God biblically said that the woman is in charge of the atmosphere in the home. Sometimes when we hear testimonies of women who have been with abusive men and in former years before we ever got to New Beginnings and those women were told to stay in those relationships and it was such a breath of fresh air to come to New Beginnings and realize that that's not what God is asking for Uh, if a woman is in an abusive relationship she needs to separate herself and the children from that climate I'm not saying divorce I'm just saying separate and then get some help for her man most homes that have abuse in them um, want to hide it I've told you the story of my girlfriend, Joni. I'm not telling secrets because she talks about this all the time. When she was old enough to understand how to dial a phone, uh, her father was an alcoholic, and he would come home angry and would beat the mom and the the brother. Um, The brother would shove the two sisters out the bedroom window so they would be protected, and um, they would be close to the garage, and then once the dad had passed out, then the brother would go get the sisters and bring them back in the house. But when Joni was old enough to know, I know, when Joni was old enough to know how to dial a phone, she was going to fix this, and she went and she called the police. Guess who got in trouble? Joni, yeah. The mother was devastated because the mom said, you know, I mean, someone was going to find out. And like Joni said, and I'm thinking, don't you think they noticed your black eye? Don't you think they noticed my brother's beat up face? But here in America, we have this idea that we have to have the perfect family representing, not realizing that when you're responsible as a woman for the atmosphere in the house, you're also responsible to pull your, yourself and your children out of that environment and make sure that your husband gets help. I think that probably Rachel understood that. I think Rachel was probably the one that taught him so many of the godly principles because she was with him as a young child she would have been the one that nursed him that nurtured him that that was with him all the time so she's probably the one that poured into him the truth about god now let's back up a little bit do you remember when um rachel and leah were leaving their daddy's house do you remember which one it was that stole one of the um idols (laughs) i like you you have to come to all my classes you help me with the words She stole one of the idols, which lets us know that in the beginning, she probably wasn't both feet in the camp of God. She was probably still depending a little bit on the horoscopes and the headlines in the newspapers, and she was impressed with what her husband had been able to accomplish with all the wealth that he had accumulated, because she knew her father was kind of a mm, sleazy, I'll just say it, sleazy businessman who was stealing But as she was with her husband and saw how God guided them and protected them and took care of them I think that's when her heart said, okay I'm going to make sure that this boy understands the God that we serve because as a 17 year old kid I don't know how much time Jacob really had To learn all the ways of God, but he had enough to know that he was anointed He was called and he had a mission. He never forgot that mission So here he is in jail He interprets the dreams. He realizes that the uh, cupbearer is someone who was called to that job and will be involved, and he realized that the baker was just appointed. And just exactly the way that um, Joseph had said, it happened. The baker was killed, and the cupbearer went back into service. I'm not sure how that would play out in today's society, but we do see people sometimes who fall in the ministry, and then are restored and then others who fall and just stay fallen when don and i first came to new beginnings church one of the main things that pastor larry was doing at that time was holding conferences for pastors who were beat up worn out or had made a mistake and were out of the ministry by choices and for me as a business person i thought this is so good because here these men and women of God have served him and have done so much, and yet the church turns on its own when they make a mistake. And so these poor people are just bleeding and and hurt. That was back in the day when you could go to an airport and, and meet somebody at the plane. So just let me explain how much trouble Pastor Larry went to to get these people there. First of all, if I met you, and you were a pastor, and I knew you had fallen, I would take your name and contact information, and I would send that in to the person who was in charge of the event. And they would send you a letter, and they would invite you to come to our conference. We paid your airfare. We paid your hotel. And we fed you. So that was the incentive for them to get there. And my favorite testimony was a couple that was getting getting ready to have a divorce, and they thought, what the heck, we think this is a cult, but we're going anyway, because we need a trip out of town. <laughs> they canceled the divorce, by the way. But pastor's heart was to restore pastor's heart was to say okay let's get you brushed off let's set you up let's get you spirit filled because a lot of them were were from ministries where they didn't have the holy spirit operating and so they got filled with the holy spirit some of them got kicked out of their, their religious organizations because they were speaking in tongues but nonetheless they were restored that's why i think Besides the fact that I had fallen in love with Pastor Tiz, that's why I think we stayed, because we saw the need for that type of a conference to happen to bring people back. When Pastor talks about how many volunteers that we had, um, we did. We had people who they would take their vacation during time when we did conference in order to be there. When you said yes, all the arrangements were made for the flight. And you would land, and then you would be assigned someone, a key volunteer on staff or a life group leader, and we would meet you at the gate with a sign that says, Welcome. We would take you outside and then escort you to your hotel. In the hotel would be a basket of goodies, all Oregon-made products, because that's where we were from. And then we would let you know that the first service would be at such and such a time. And then we sent cars to pick them up. And they would be picked up. And then when they came to the church, they would be greeted by volunteers that are saying, Welcome, come on in. For some of them, that very first experience of a church service at New Beginnings brought them to tears because they had never felt the love of God. It wasn't us. It was just we were behaving the way that God told us to behave. And the love of God was coming through us. It finally got to the point where there were so many people that were uncomfortable with all that love and attention that pastor larry and tiz said okay it's not working to have them come to the first service because they're still suspicious and we just have a few days to be with them so then we organized a gathering a reception so when they came in before we ever went to a friday night service there was a reception where again our key leaders were assigned to a table you had different people that were at your table and they had a chance to realize huh Well, if it's a cult, I like it. It feels good in here. (laughs) So we fed them. Pastor talked to them. Everybody was moving around. Um, What I liked, you know, I'm I'm a businesswoman. So what I like so much about it is that we had people that were assigned to the table and they stayed right there. And then we had people that were assigned to go from table to table to introduce themselves and to see what they could be of service. We also, if there was a pastor that we knew um, needed some extra attention, they would be assigned... A couple from the church. Now, how many of you were here at New Beginnings when Pastor Greg Johnson was here? Anybody? Okay. When Greg and Robin came to conference, because Greg Johnson had been with that same organization that Pastor Larry and Tiz had been with. And so at the time, okay, now Ryan's going to get me. Last time you filmed me, Ryan, I was doing chops. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't don't want one of those again. So anyway, uh, Don and I were assigned to Pastor Greg and Robin. And so we met them at the airport, we took them to their hotel, we were with them at the reception, and it goes down to, okay, what do they need? Well, one of the pastor's wives had forgotten a slip, and that's back in the day, you know, where you had to wear a slip if you were going to wear a skirt. So we went to Nordstrom's, took her to Nordstrom's, and bought her a slip. I mean, this was the level of service that the church had been trained to do, and we loved it. We absolutely loved it. It was exhausting, (laughs) but we loved it. Well, I think Joseph understood serving and loving and making people comfortable so that even when he was in charge of the prisoners in the prison, he knew how to serve. And I would imagine, and this is not biblical, this is not the Lord says, this is just my fantasy in my mind, I would imagine that he'd already identified some key prisoners that he could talk to and uh, pray with and and share things with, and he would have them help too, because biblically, our Bible says that he kind of organized things. And don't you know, when you're a leader, you don't do everything, you organize things. So he probably looked out and went, okay, there's somebody, I bet they could help with this project, and had everything in line so that it was functioning properly. I don't think that he included everybody in that list. I think that Joseph had the discernment to know that there are some people that just don't want to change. And you bless them, and you leave them in the corner, and you keep moving. In business, they say that 10% of the people that work for you don't like you. And 10% of the people that do work for you absolutely love you, no matter what you do. So your job is to be nice to that top 10%, and most business people think that their assignment then is to go to that bottom 10. Uh-uh. As a leader, your assignment is to work with the 80%, because those are the ones that are on the line, and you can continue moving that 80% up, and the bottom 10% will be drug along with them. If you spend all of your time trying to convince the bottom 10%, you would unmotivate your top 10%, and then the focus for the 80%, Comes down here. I think Joseph knew that. I think he knew to look out and say, okay, who is it that I can work with? He was there for 12 years. Don't you think he saw some deaths? Don't you think he was beginning to wonder? Well, all of a sudden the dreams are interpreted. The baker is out, I mean, excuse me, the cupbearer is out, and the Pharaoh has a dream and he remembers Joseph. So he goes back, and Joseph comes up. Now, there's a little bit of scripture, and again, I go back and read these stories. Joseph didn't go immediately from the prison into the palace. He got a haircut, he got a shave, a bath, and he changed his clothes. When I was reading that and studying it, it's like, okay, why are these rabbis going into such detail? And it said, because Joseph did not identify with his clothes He didn't identify with that coat of many colors. He knew that was a responsibility, but that was not who he was. He did not identify when he was stripped and sold as a slave and was in a slave's house. Those were his clothes, but he knew who he was. When he was in the prison, he didn't identify with the prisoner's clothes. That's what he wore, but it's not who he was. But he knew enough that when he was going into the presence of the, the pharaoh... That he needed to shave, cut his hair, and put on clothes that were appropriate. That lets me know that he had the wisdom and discernment to know how to interact with people around him. And don't you know that leadership involves discernment to know who to interact with? Pastors Larry and Tiz always teach that um, you're supposed to walk slow through the sanctuary, you know, to say hi to people. To stop and engage in conversations i think that was one of the sweetest things about owen gann who went home to be with the lord this past week owen was a stationary individual but he had a 20 mile reach (laughs) if you came into the building he may still be sitting at that table sipping his free coffee but he was going to reach out and say welcome to new beginnings a lot of the men that are now coming to the men's breakfasts were invited by owen Other men think they're the ones that invited them, but when you get down deep about how did you first hear about the breakfast? Well, Owen invited us when we first came to New Beginnings. I think that's a a characteristic that Joseph had. He may have been stationary in prison, but he had a far reaching reach. He knew what to do in order to get things accomplished. So Joseph goes up, he interprets the dream. There's going to be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. But he didn't just interpret the dream. See, I had missed this piece as well. Go back and read it. He gave a solution. Again, in corporate, most everybody can see the problem. The clerk that was hired and has only been on the job for two days can see the problem. That's not what a manager, a supervisor, a leader needs to hear. They need to hear a solution. So I always teach my teams, yeah, we all see what's wrong, but if you can come up with a solution, please bring it to me. In fact, one of the things that I operate by, um, and I didn't even know it was a Jewish principle It was in in business, Um, if anybody on my team made a mistake, it's like, tell me as fast as you possibly can. I can fix it. I will cover for you. I will never expose you, but I can take care of it. If you hide it, it's going to come back to bite all of us. So moving from corporate into the church part, I still operate that way. Now, Yvonne is my assistant. You all, all know Yvonne, cute little Yvonne. And uh, she now has a number of, of uh, areas that she oversees. And so she's taught them, if you make a mistake, come to me right away. I can fix it for you, but I can't fix it if you hide it. I think Joseph operated on that, that premise. It is a Jewish premise. It really is a sin to embarrass anybody that reports to you or works with you. Embarrassment causing blood to rush to the face, according to the Jewish culture, is a major offense. I wonder how our Western sense of, a hu- sense of humor would line up with that. I mean, don't we kind of have some zingers that, oh, I was just kidding. I was just messing with you, but it hurts the spirit. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. I'm talking to myself here this morning, but just, just realize what our responsibility is as a Jewish person. And that principle and business is very, very Jewish. Well, Joseph didn't respond and own his circumstances. He maneuvered through them. That's how he succeeded. But As religion often teaches, he did not have to go through all of that in order to be fine-tuned to be who he is. He went through all of that, giving hope and help to the people that he was serving, but it didn't make him bitter, and he didn't have to go through it in order to be okay to lead. Joseph knew who he was from the very beginning. He came out of the womb that way. He carried the mantle of the firstborn understanding the responsibility he knew that his god was in control and he knew that he would not be killed until he had completed the assignment the call that was on his life now the brothers came we know that story they didn't recognize him But, you know, Pastor Larry teaches there's always something in the physical realm and in the spiritual realm, uh, an earthly realm and a heavenly realm. And they say the other reason his brothers didn't recognize him, even with seeing his eyes, is that Joseph lived in a spiritual realm. His identity was in God, not his circumstances, not his clothes, but his identity was in God. And because the brothers, their identity was with sheep, That's what they identified with. They were unable to recognize him as the one spiritually mature. Well, we know in the story that Joseph saves the people. He could have made a lot of money. He didn't. He was always gifted and was always rewarded for what he was doing, but he was always serving. He never tried to take anything for himself. He was serving, and that's how God caused favor for him to get a reward he had two boys anybody remember their names Ephraim and Manasseh yeah and how do we use those names every Shabbat may our sons be like Ephraim and Manasseh And I didn't understand any of that until Pastor Larry started preaching that Ephraim and Manasseh were born of a foreign mama to a godly daddy, but they were taught things of the Lord and they didn't fight. And if you go back, if you're a history buff and you love reading the Old Testament and you'll see brother after brother after brother after brother (laughs) that messes up, but these two boys didn't, they didn't fight. I don't know whether the Bible doesn't tell us a lot, and I didn't go into deep research on them, but I was fascinated that we use them as we're saying our blessings for Shabbat. May our boys be like Ephraim and Manasseh. That gives me hope, because that tells me that Ephraim and Manasseh are mentioned in our Shabbat prayer, but yet they were birthed by a foreign woman. Now, I don't know how many of you have kids that have married someone that you thought, oh my gosh, what are you thinking? But... Nonetheless, if one, if one is standing with God, and if the other one isn't just absolutely running around and being totally a jerk, then they can have a healthy home. The New Testament tells us that a godly woman who keeps her mouth shut (laughs) and doesn't tell her husband what to do can sanctify the home. Now, I mentioned that the two wives of uh, Jacob... Rachel and Leah, and I mentioned that in the beginning, Jacob wasn't in love with Leah, and yet she served him. Not just giving him sons, but she served him and took care of him. He learned to love her. She was a loved woman. I can't speak to her attitude in the home or how it worked between she and Rachel, but our Bible does tell us that Leah was buried in a place of honor. So that lets me know that Even if you're in a relationship where you're not being loved and honored, if you behave as a godly woman, if you behave as a godly man and operate according to how God tells us to operate, our spouse will come in line. Again, I I speak to women because that's my life experience. It's pretty hard for a Western woman to keep her mouth shut. Don, my husband, is reading a book by uh, Rabbi Lappin, and I found it fascinating that his uh, outlook on marriage and our society, he said that uh, women have been unknowingly sabotaging marriage because as a woman, I can have children and be on welfare, and that becomes my security. And then I don't look to a man to support me. What I say to the man is, I don't need you. Well that seems okay for you and the family but what that does to the man he doesn't feel respected he doesn't feel needed and as soon as that happens he quits trying to try in a society where the woman goes we need you in the family she may be over here with the kids but we need you in the family then that's that helps the man realize that he needs to straighten up he needs to change his ways now as we're alive today, she can get some brothers and the Lord to go around her husband to help him. They can have those breakfasts. It's off church site. It, all you're doing is having a meal. But godly men are imparting into younger men who need some help in understanding their responsibility. And I, I don't think I ever teach when I don't say, welfare is not God's plan. Welfare is, by its very intention, designed to get you away from God's plan. And there are times when a woman um, or a man needs to be on welfare, needs to have food stamps. They need to have a helping hand up. But it was never designed to be a lifestyle. And it was never designed to be something that women could continue, depending on themselves and the government, to take care of their children. The cycle seems to be self-perpetuating and if we were in israel today we would make sure that widows and orphans would be taken care of in our society that's not always practical and yet as much as we can we try to take care of people new beginnings at this stage of the ministry Um, if you need assistance you fill out a form and it goes to committee the committee is private um, when, when they make their decisions, they take a look and it's like, okay, are you a church member? Uh, are you serving? We don't even go to tithing first. It's serving. <laughs> are you a church member? Are you serving? And are, can we show that you have been giving and the church family gets the money first after the church family is taken care of? Then we go to the outside world. But we partner with a number of uh, nonprofits that we can give you a sheet of paper that says, this this is a home. This is a place where you can get food. This is a place where you can get clothing. And so with those partnerships, then our family or anyone who comes into the ministry has first dibs on being assisted. I like that. We also give away turkeys to family in need at Thanksgiving. And you are going to see an incredible Christmas giveaway <laughs> with toys. Because most of us in here are mature enough to understand that our society has changed, in Portland we used to have the kids come forward and gift their gifts. They, there'd be a bag with all kinds of goodies in it with their name and a bicycle with their name on it. And um, Owen was one of the people, by the way, who would put together those hundreds of bikes and they would be all lined up up front. But our society has kind of changed, and it got to the point one of the last times that we did a public uh, giveaway that some of the kids would open their bag and go, I didn't ask for this. Our society has changed. If it's not a game, (laughs) they didn't want a puzzle. (laughs) So because we had a number of people in the Portland church who had underwritten those giveaways, and they were in the church sanctuaries, they saw the kids be ungrateful, uh, we made the decision, let's not do this anymore. (laughs) So Pastor Jen has always had families come in. It's the sweetest thing ever, and it's not public, but there are gifts that are just all around the room. And a family comes in, and it's like, bless your heart. This is from God. We want you to know that you're a part of this church. Come on in and pick out a gift. And of course, just like, you know, when you do trick-or-treating, the kids pick one and it's like, no, you can pick another. Ah, I mean, the kids just go absolutely crazy and crazy good. Watch your words, Nancy, crazy good. But it lets them know that this church family loves them and that God knows they're here and he's taking care of them. There'll be two giveaway gifts. Um, One that will happen on a Saturday. We are partnering with another uh, nonprofit, and they are bringing in some gifts. And there will be a number of families. Remember when we did our uh, From Farmers to Families food giveaway? Uh, pastor Wanderson was kind of the overseer of that one. And so he has connections with a number of different churches and ministries. So we have reached out to all of them to say, if you have people who need help, have them come to the church on Saturday. So those families, plus some of our own families will be coming and will be getting gifts. They'll get food baskets and they'll also get toys and clothes. Now you think, well, what about the homeless? Well, we're doing that clothing drive right now. If you've got a winter coat or gloves or socks, and by the way, they don't make an announcement, but they can use underwear, clean underwear, <laughs> new underwear, anything that somebody homeless might want. And I know socks are high on the list. So if you don't have a coat that you can pull away, you can buy a couple pair of socks and, and put that so that we can help the homeless. So here at New Beginnings, family is first. We love you. We want to help you. We want to embrace you, and we also want to make sure that you're on the pathway for blessing. And then we reach out to our community to do as much as we can to take care of the people around us. Let's try to be like Joseph. Let's not identify with our clothes. Whether or not you're broken in prison, (laughs) whether or not you're in the palace, you have been called, anointed, and appointed by God for this season in history. Some of you have big assignments, and others of you have smaller assignments, but every assignment is vital. We're like a huge puzzle, and sometimes the showy pieces get put in the puzzle first, but it's not complete until that last little piece goes into the puzzle. Figure out what puzzle piece you are, what your calling is. You may need to shake off some dust off of your puzzle piece. (laughs) and find out who you really are, not your costume, but who God really birthed you to be, and get back to your call of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have called us to be uh, in a ministry with Pastors Larry and Tiz, where we are able to understand and research and realize that your, your word is so rich in telling us how to live Not just to say a prayer and get home to heaven, Heavenly Father. Your goal is for us to get heaven here on earth. You want to protect us. You want to give us peace that passes all understanding. You want to guide us. And most importantly, you want to make sure that we're on the pathway that is serving others. Bless everyone who came out this morning. Bless those that are listening on the podcast. And thank you, Heavenly Father, that you forgive us when we misstep. And you set us upright on high ground once again. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you. See you next Sunday.